Coming live from Austin, Texas, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Stacy Savage, founder and CEO of Zero Waste Strategies. And this works, this is an environment consulting firm specializing in zero waste protocols supporting the circular economy. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here. Right, right, Stacy. So to understand what exactly is zero waste. So let's start from the basic. People know about how how we are very close to, some people call that we are very close to disaster in terms of climate change. And some people say, no, no, this is, so let's that be the political debate happening at whatever corner of the world it happens. But as of now, let's look at the uh, waste part of it and you talk about zero waste. What exactly is zero waste if we look at it from a very common man's perspective? And then you are you are the uh, founder of Zero Waste Strategies. Please do also under, uh, help us understand what exactly your company is. Sure. So zero waste is a business efficiency concept, and it is something that um, helps businesses reduce waste uh, on site. So at their operations, whether that's in their purchasing department or what goes out to the dumpsters hauled away by by the trash companies, uh, it's really reducing everything that comes into your business. So there's not so much that's going out of your business. Uh, globally defined, zero waste is a 90% waste reduction, keeping those materials out of landfills and incinerators and putting them back into a useful um, system called the circular economy. Circular economy is um, a new uh, way of doing business, a new way of of uh, creating jobs through the materials that we have already extracted from the earth, refined and mined and made into a product uh, and shipped, you know, over overseas or, or wherever. Uh, the circular economy keeps those materials out of out of the landfills and gives them multiple lives, many, many, many times over. And that creates jobs that helps build revenue that helps uh, also uh, keep our entire economy more sustainable. Right now, we have a very linear economy where raw materials like crude oil and uh, wood from trees, building materials, they're extracted and uh, they're they're made into a, a product. And then many times uh, that product you know, ends up in a landfill at some point. And we really want to address the circularity, uh, taking the two loops of that linear economy or taking the two ends of that linear economy and bringing them into a loop to where it's it's circular. Things are being used many, many, many times over before they're considered exhausted, before the materials, um, you know, have a an expiration date, I guess you could say. So when a business can keep the vast majority of their materials out of landfills, um, 
and in and out of, of incinerators, then we can put those materials back to good use. We can remanufacture them, refabricate them. We can use repair methods instead of putting them in the trash. Uh, there's so much more that we can do before recycling even becomes, uh, you know, a, an option before, um, you know, before it goes to, to landfill. So we want to encourage businesses to really find better uses of their materials instead of just, you know, throwing their hands in the air and saying, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Let's just put it in the in the dumpster. Well, there's probably many, many things that you can do with that with that material. Maybe you can sell it and make a profit. Maybe you can donate it and take a tax deduction. There's there's so much that can be done. We just need to be more innovative and creative and, uh, you know, help help businesses think outside of what their normal operations would be. Right, Stacey. Now, this is something I guess a lot of people in earlier days used to uh, know about it. It was very basic to optimally use anything that you bought or had in your hands. And then when you used it fully and when it had achieved the you know purpose for which it was fully made for, repaired, recycled and done with, that was the life and that was a good life. Why did it take so many years for people or companies to even realize this? And especially when it makes big and good profitable business sense, which you tell them nowadays. You have worked with big companies, Dell, AT&T, Nestle, Purina, Kohler, Belden, and even the city of Austin. So why is it that, uh, you know, so many educated people are there in companies, they are entrepreneurs. Why has it taken so long? And how much are we learning? How fast are we learning? And is it enough to save the planet that we are all aiming for several questions at the same time but so that so that you can answer at your own pace okay so what i'm hearing is you're asking how did we get here and why are businesses so slow to react right right because products products are made by businesses by companies by industries who are run by people right it's It's people, it's habit change, it's education. There's a severe lack of education around how to keep these materials in working order so that they are not considered junk and not dumped. So how did we get here? I would say that from probably the 1960s up until today, There has been a strong focus of corporations to provide convenience to their consumers. So it's really about, are we willing to, in some aspect, give up some of our conveniences in order to change our behaviors, change how much we consume as purchasers, right, as customers, and how much we are uh, willing to alter our own behaviors. 
many companies don't want the consumer to alter their behavior because that has made them very profitable. Um, but what we are finding is that that behavior and that overconsumption has really put the ecosystems of our planet in a dire situation when it comes to climate change, greenhouse gas emissions, um, fossil fuel use, and you know many of the the common conveniences like shopping bags, plastic shopping bags, single-use plastic utensils that you'll receive with to-go meals from a restaurant, um, children's, you know, diapers. Uh, there's there's all kinds of, of materials out there that have set our society up for failure in protecting our own health and well-being. And I believe that businesses are only going to be affected when the consumer makes the demand of the company from the ground up. The, the shareholders and the investors, you know, if they're receiving their, their return on investment, many times that is okay with them. But now we're seeing investors and shareholders demand from the top down that these companies change their operations, change the type of materials they're using, offer take back and recycling programs for free for their consumers. So you can see that the, cons that the customers are squeezing and from the top up, from the bottom up, and then the, the executives and, and the um, middle management are being squeezed from the top down from the shareholders and the the uh, investors to really squeeze that that middle um, operational efficiency, really make it um, much more cost effective and less waste less wasteful. So that's I believe how we've gotten here, and the the businesses that don't want to change are going to soon be irrelevant because there's a new generation of consumer, the Gen Z or Zoomers, uh, Zillennials, uh, however you want to say it, are coming with a with you know a, a, a strong collective purchasing power um, as as a generation. But they're saying we won't buy your products if they aren't green. And so the businesses that have been stuck in this status quo. Uh, if you will, of, you know, satisfying their shareholders and, and not listening exactly to the consumer, um, they're starting to understand that they have been lagging behind and that they really need to get with the program because these, these newer customers are very, very value-based and they are very... Uh, situated in in their values of social justice, environmental justice, and uh, you know worker justice as well as as um, you know having green products or, or the option to buy green products. They are not exactly uh, brand loyal these days like we used to be back back in the day whenever I was younger, we would only buy one one brand of car, you know. Uh, my father would not look at any other kind of car unless it was that specific brand of car. It's the only one he would trust. 
But now buyers these days have many more options. But those options, if they're made with putting people at risk, putting the climate at risk, they understand because they know how to research the company's um, operations and they know how to research the, the climate and sustainability reports that companies put out, they will absolutely expose these companies on social media as well. And so if your company doesn't want to be exposed on social media for having bad practices, don't have bad practices. And make sure that you are getting up to speed with what this new kind of consumer wants. They are, they are adamant that uh, environmental, social, health, uh, worker rights, safety, and justice are all put at, at the forefront uh, of producing the products that they will be buying off the shelves. And if you're not doing it, they'll go to your competitor. Right, right. Uh, Stacy, in your understanding, which are the uh, some of the sectors which are particularly responsible for this? See, in a, from a general man's perspective, Earlier, when plastic came into existence and plastic bottle was there, if it is for medicinal purposes, you know, it protects it. It will not, the, the glass bottle will not break, but the plus, uh, will break, but the plastic bottle, so it saves. That's, that can be understood. Mm -hmm. But other sort of bottles clogging all the places across the earth, that is difficult to understand. Yes. So without taking any sides without taking any names or anything, but which are the sectors in your experience, understanding are the ones who are clogging not only our lives, uh, but also the clogging the arteries of the this mm. very planet. The only one planet that we have. The only so, planet. So that people, people mm. can know about it and keep a very strong eye on these sectors. There have been many studies done where... Um, volunteers will, uh, they will do a cleanup along a riverbank and they will take all of the labels that they find and they will spread them out and they'll identify which companies are the worst polluters in that piece of, or that part of the lake and, or the, the river or stream. They will do this all over the world and they're finding that the most polluting companies are some of the two bigger names that, that we know that are beverage companies. And so when we're talking about what is clogging our waterways, it is plastic bags for checkout. So bring your own bags. Uh, and yeah. then also the beverage containers. So for soda or uh, water or, you know, your, your drink containers. So, really relying on on your own reusable bottle uh, to to reduce your own consumption. But also you'll see companies now they'll advertise 30 percent less plastic, but it's still plastic. And there are uh, technological advances where we are seeing um materials that are being made that mimic plastic, but they are not plastic. They can break down in the environment. There was actually a big study that was released from the University of Texas at Arling or at Austin. And um, they uh, have a, um, a, a new um, kind of uh, program where, where they can uh, build up these plastic-like materials, and then they can dissolve them. 
And so this is uh, this is something that is you know, very recent and they you know, it's very promising to be able to replace uh, actual plastics that is made from crude oil. And, and uh, they say that, uh, you know, the, the crude oil and, and the, the vast majority of what is in our landfills um, are are plastics and, and very bulky materials like electronics. Uh, that are very toxic, that contain mercury, lead, and arsenic, that just don't belong there. And uh, so companies are starting to understand, but it really comes upon us as consumers to change our habits, but also pressure the companies that are making these toxic products to phase the toxins out and to use different materials that are, that can be recycled more easily um, and that we as consumers would have access to. So you can have a recycling program all you want. If the consumer doesn't have access to the program and it's not convenient, they're not going to use it. So there's there's got to be the the convenience and access factors uh, baked into your your uh, strategy for for offering you know these kinds of programs to your consumers uh, as a business. Right, Stacy. Now one thing you know uh, I want to understand is that. U.S. is such a, you know, a lot of people are so informed and there is so much of activism there. In your case, you individually, you played a pivotal role in passing two key key pieces of statewide legislation. That's for Texas, for free and responsible recycling of computers and television uh, televisions. Now, you could do it. You could get two legislations passed for such a great thing. U.S. is got so many activists there. And you see those that activism, you know, filling our TV screens and everywhere you go. I mean, even a normal person will find it. So many companies are there. NGOs are there. Demonstrators are there. For profit, not for profit. Why is it that they are not able to uh, force these companies, especially the two major uh, players we talked about, just for a simple thing that we not just see, but we consume day in and day out. It's a part of your American life and it has become a part of so many other countries. Why is it? Where is the difficulty? Is it? Is it that? Uh, is it that money can? you know, uh, shut people's mouth? Is it? Is it like that? What is the reason? Are, and why are we then saying that let's save the planet, let's save the world? Who is right and who is wrong? Is money speaking or, 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 or when will people speak? When will individuals speak? Well, in America, uh, we speak at the voter box. And when elections come along, we elect people that we feel will have our best interest involved. Um, and we send them to the Congress or the, you know, to, to represent us. And in America, it is uh, very taboo for government to overreach and tell a business how it can operate. So many times we like to have government and businesses come together to figure out solutions that don't necessarily result in new laws. Um, But 
when a situation caused by these companies that are heavily polluting um, is not handled properly and these materials are being swept out into the ocean, they're affecting our marine life, they're um, polluting the, the, the waterways and, and you know, that, the water we drink uh, as well, the, the water that we, we cook with and bathe in, um, that we raise our children in, uh, there's, there's a big problem when it comes to the political will of the people putting in the right people, the right representatives uh, to, to office to represent us and to go to bat, to go um, speak on our behalf, to tell the companies that, hey, you're polluting heavily. We need to fix this, this and this. How do you suggest we do that? And, you know, when when we can have businesses and uh, lawmakers coming together to um, put good policy in place. That is a win for everybody. But many times it is the money, yes, and the um, political favors, I guess you can say, uh, that will get in the way of that good policy. And that is what is becoming a detriment because we're not acting fast enough and we're not acting um, as intensely with purpose that we need to, in order to address, address the plastic crisis, um, you know, all, all around the world, not just in America. And these plastics, you know, are, are really strangling the, the wildlife and uh, the, the waterways and our marine life. And, you know, no matter if you're a conservative or a liberal or a Green Party or an independent, these pollutants are still in your water. It doesn't matter what political party you you lie, you know, you you align with, you know, there's still mercury in the water because electronics weren't handled properly. Right? There's still, you know, particulate matter in the air that we're breathing into our lungs because maybe 10 years ago, we didn't get a policy in place fast enough that required, um, you know, polluting industries to reduce their emissions. So we're suffering the consequences now. Um, I, I think events like COP27, you know, and and uh, there's these big environmental events all over the world. I, I think they're well-intentioned. Um, but we're not really seeing the results of, of the decisions that come out of those big events where global leaders can agree on setting these goals and reducing emissions by, you know, X percent by this date. And we're, it's very difficult to see the action and it's very difficult to not get discouraged, but every person who makes these decisions on the planet are just people themselves. And so we need to tap into the education. We need to tap into the emotional, um, you know, stronghold that we need to tap into the, the emotion of, of people of why would we not pass down a livable world to our children and grandchildren? 
why would be why would we be so selfish as not to do that? And we have to ask ourselves these hard, deep questions and get real answers and hold our government accountable to those decisions that are being made on a global scale so that they are affecting our lives in a personal and per, um, in a positive way. So, you know, I think it's to sum that up, it's the lack of political will, the lack of education and the money profits that get in the way of actually making policies that can protect people. Policies that can protect people. So what planner. is right? Yes. You remember, it reminds me of, you know, Carl Sagan, the famous guy who talked about, about our earth, that picture in 1994 that uh, Voyager took, and it was the pale blue dot suspended in a sunbeam. I guess when we are talking about our future generations, we still would want to pass on at least the pale blue, blue dot and not a black dot in terms of the way, the speed at which we are polluting and destroying our planet. So let's talk about the positive part that is happening. Is zero waste the answer to uh, this problem? Because if industries or businesses are the major, uh, say, contributor to this, uh, to this problem, then if we move towards uh, zero waste or they are saying that ESG investing and all that stuff, then is that the answer? Will that uh, slow down our process or reverse even maybe reverse that move towards our, the danger that we are calling as climate crisis or even the destruction of the planet. How do you see that? How do we retrace our steps, the deadly steps that we have taken already? Right. I believe that zero waste is part of the answer. It is a more responsible management of the materials that we have already extracted, refined, and made into, into products that people have already bought. And so burying these materials in a landfill or burning them in an incinerator is the end of the life. It is a one-use kind of um, trajectory. It's purchase, you know, the product, use it, dump it because it broke. And, and uh, that's sometimes that's planned obsolescence, right? Sometimes the companies plan for things to break in a certain amount of time so that you either buy a new one um, you know, or, or you just can't use it anymore. Preferably, pre they would prefer that you buy a new one from them. Um, I remember when I was 17 years old, I got a, a television for my high school graduation and I was heading off to college. And so I could, I had that, that same television set for 18 years before we switched over to, um, you know, uh, better technology, I guess you could say. And so it never gave me a problem. And then, you know, you've got some uh, of the newer flat screen TVs that will just, they'll, they'll be done in five years. And so it's, it's really about companies planning their, um, 
planning their products more long term so that we don't experience the breakage so that we don't um, have to buy new products. Um, to me, that's just very lazy in a marketing scheme uh, to rely on your po- your product breaking in order to reap more profits because somebody has to buy new again. And to me that, you know, if, if you had better marketing, you would get new customers in that um, want to experience your product uh, and that can rely on your product. But at the rate that we're going, the more things that break in a quicker amount of time, the more profit companies can make. And that's really some of the, the key drivers uh, of, of their, their production operations. And, and uh, to me, again, that's, that's not something to be very proud of, unfortunately. Um, right. And right. so I don't think zero waste is the solution. It is part of the solution. If you'll think of the circular economy as a wheel, maybe a gear that has many little cogs, many little, uh, you know, um, teeth. Zero waste is a piece of of the cog, piece of the gear. Uh, You have energy efficiency, right? You have water efficiency. You've got um, building upgrades and retrofits. You have, there's all kinds of things that we can put into the economy to make it circular. Uh, And so it's not, circular economy as this thing that's what do we put into the economy to make it into a loop instead of that linear you know process and so um zero waste is the most responsible way to manage your materials that you would normally send to the dump or to an incinerator it is putting it back into the system into the circular system so that we have less mining, less refining, right? Um, and that we can use those materials to make new products through remanufacturing, refabrication, repair, reuse. Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of, of re kind of words that we can use before recycling is even an option. Recycling is at the bottom of the materials management pyramid for a reason, because you typically have to pay for that service. But many times these these other higher and better uses of the materials can be free uh, through donations and, and through, um, you know, um, re, you know, remanufacturing processes and to keep the jobs local, to keep the materials local. If the U.S. keeps sending their materials to Mexico, India, China, um, Lagos, Nigeria, you know, we're we're just we're getting rid of our materials because we don't want to look at it. We don't want to see it anymore. But we're just dumping our problem on somebody else's land. And that's not fair for us to do that to other co- countries. Um, we need to keep our materials here locally so that we can build out the local jobs. We can bring manufacturing back to the U.S. Um, and and hold companies accountable to the standards, the health and safety and environmental standards that we have in the U.S. Many times U.S. companies will ship their jobs and the materials overseas because 
there are more lax laws when it comes to environmental worker health and safety precautions. And so it's cheaper for them to produce overseas many times. So there's, you know, President Biden has has been uh, pushing for remanufacturing to be happening back here in the U.S. And there are policies that he is putting into place where certain materials can only be uh, bought you know, from U.S. manufacturing that can only be produced in in the U.S. So really um, keeping our our infrastructure strong here in in America. And for the last 30 years, we've been dumping our materials overseas on other countries. We haven't had the infrastructure built up for more recycling, food waste and yard waste, composting, um, you know, those kinds of things that uh, that can build uh, a you know, uh, an entire uh, local economy around materials management and being much more responsible rather than putting our problem in somebody else's country. Right, right. And even if you dump on other countries at the end of the day, it's it's one earth. It's the same earth. Right. Whichever corner, if you look at it in that Absolutely. manner. Now, whatever way the situation is, Stacey, uh, what is it that citizens like you and me you are a very conscious citizen you are a recycling nerd as they say for the last 20 years or so you built the you started this company in uh, zero waste strategies in 2013 so you are a very conscious you know citizen global citizen i can certainly say that way but what about people like me people like a lot of places they can you know find the right way to do something for the planet amidst all these debates. Some people say climate change problem. Somebody say, no, it's a part of this whole process of, you know, this, the way it has been. And again, now the new whole debate is happening about the uh, electric vehicles and the fossil fuel and, you know, all that fight that's going on. So it can, you know, numb your senses and you can, can find it very difficult to find the right path. So what would you say to listeners so that they are not disheartened, they can look at life much more positively and continue to contribute in their fight to save the only planet and the lonely planet that we have. I would say, well, three things. Number one, if you can get out into nature, you can reconnect with what we are trying to save. And that connection helps you in your daily life, make better choices. Um, Number two is contact companies that do not have good green sustainable policies. If you come across a company that is been, you know, highlighted in the news lately about their, their destructive practices This is where you can become active as a consumer. You can write to them. You can tweet them. You can call their customer service line. um, You can do a video on it and send it to them. Help them understand that customers are watching their every move and that if they are not getting on board with greener sustainability policies, then they're not going to, you know, receive the, the, Uh, customer loyalty that they're used to. They're not going to be receiving the profits that they're used to because we have this cancel culture now. 
Absolutely. And the cancel culture, the companies are terrified of cancel culture. And we can if, use If that, cancel culture is used positively. Yes. If we can use it in a positive manner that says, you're doing this, I don't like it, here's a solution, can you step up and be a better company? If they refuse, then you can start that exposure campaign, right? Um, and then three, you have to talk to your lawmakers. You have to uh, do the lobby process where you, uh, you know, create a, a, a citizens campaign or you go and knock on doors and talk to people and get petition signatures and really bring it, you know, at the grassroots all the way to the top where people can feel empowered that their voice is being heard and that these politicians are not being corrupted by the um, money that's that could be coming into you know, their campaign from corporations that don't want to see the laws change because it will make them have you know, more stringent, uh, more stringent, um, uh, you know, rules to adhere to. So when people are able to um, gather, you know, a lot of public outcry, and they're able to take that to their uh, local or state or federal government to say, we need representation on these issues. This is how my community is being affected. This is how we are being um you know, our health is being affected. This is why my child has XYZ disease um, or asthma or whatever. You know, there's there's many, many things that people can do, but really it's the collective organizing and being able to change policy um, with the, the public's health and safety in mind. And that is not going to be led by the corporations that are making billions of dollars off of polluting our planet. It has to come from the consumer to change the policies or the operations and put enough pressure on the companies that are uh, operating under bad policies. It also has to come from the people to organize and put the correct people during election time into the office um, that they're seeking in order to appropriately represent the people, their constituents, their voters, um, and to hold them accountable when they are in office. And that takes a lot of organizing. It takes a lot of volunteer hours and effort, but it can be done. And there's when there's a lot of people doing the work, every single person does a smaller amount. Right. But it's powerful, very, very powerful. Very, yeah. Smaller amount, each person, but very powerful. So all those companies who are now, who want to or are believe believing in this uh, zero waste stuff. How can they connect with you? Actually, you know, to to for you to guide them to take them towards a path of being responsible companies. Right. So zero waste strategies offers a three tier system. Our first tier is online six week training. It's kind of a zero waste one hundred and one kind of a boot camp if you will. And we take the very large concepts and bring it down to how it will affect that person's specific business. And it's go at your own pace. Um, and we have, you know, uh, the, the opportunity to meet with like-minded uh, business owners and managers who also want to go on this journey uh, of greening up their, their business uh, for, for, you know, 
stronger profits and, and revenue and uh, to protect, you know, the, the planet. Um, the second tier that we have is also a six week online training program, but it's much more in depth. And we get into things like how, you know, how to recycle hard to recycle materials, you know, what happens in, um, in, you know, my state when it comes to uh, electronics recycling. Do I have a law here? I don't know if I have a law here that requires manufacturers to recycle. Um, so we help you understand that what is your waste stream and then what can we do with it instead of it going to the dump? So we really get down into your specific needs as a business. And then uh, tier three is more of our white glove service. It is a full service where you know, you'll you'll have our team come on to your site. We will assess your site. We will do a waste audit where we pick through your trash stream and your recyclables and your your food waste. We're up to our elbows for five hours in trash, picking through everything and sorting it and weighing it, cataloging it. And we build out a full zero waste master plan for your entire facility that way you can implement it. We'll train your staff. We'll interview your executives um, and really understand the key perspectives and how people feel about these recycling programs and if they would participate. And how can we change their hearts and minds around participating if they don't feel recycling is that big of a deal? So we'll help you know craft uh, the culture of your, your facility uh, and uh, around your employees' uh, perceptions and uh, really help train them with really fun uh, training and, and lots of games and, and that kind of thing so that people will actually remember what they're being taught. So there's, there's three options there and, and uh, people can choose whichever one they feel will benefit them the most. And we can meet that client uh, wherever they're at in, in their journey to zero waste. Right, Stacy. I have my last question to you is, you know, how do you see this? Let me put it this way. You have, you know about pollution from childhood. Your parents worked in refineries, you know, for around so collective 75 years. If I, if I'm putting it right. And you, you know what hazy skies, rotten egg smells, and also cancer around, even in family, is all about. You are not just into this line just for the sake of it or just for some work. You founded this company in 2013. You are a recycling nerd since last 20 years. Whatever you do at work, that is enough. But when you look at the world, with so much of, you know, talk about climate change and actually things happening which are proof enough that we are not to, our future is not so bright if we move with a, such a, you know, speed towards polluting our planet. How do you still keep your motivation, not just only as a professional, as a consultant, as the owner of a company, but also as an individual who has seen all these things from very, very close? Yes. I want to understand where do you see yourself amidst all this? I Yes. Like you said, I grew up in a very polluted oil town in Southeast Texas. And um, this is really the Mecca of oil and gas industry in the U.S. And it's where 
the city of Houston and, you know, cities that are south and east of that toward the Gulf Coast and to the Louisiana border. Um, many, many uh, days we, we've had the the rotten egg smells and, and uh, the brownish hazy skies and many influential family members did uh, have strange cancers. Um, and it really propelled the way that I looked at the world. Nobody was there to knock on my door to say, we are holding these polluting companies accountable. Whenever I was growing up, there was no organizing because the people that worked at these power plants, it was the trade-off of a very good job to put their kids through school and keep food on the table, well-paying, good benefits. The trade-off is pollution. And so nobody spoke about that trade-off. Nobody wanted to rock the boat. Right. And so whenever you've got a major industry like the oil and gas industry in your community, um, you are raised to kind of look the other way. And uh, once I moved out of that area and I went to school and then, you know, up in Dallas and I moved to Austin and there was a lot of opportunities to become civically engaged. And that's exactly what I did. I found an environmental nonprofit and I started knocking on doors and I knocked on doors, thousands and thousands of doors all across Texas, in Ohio, in New Jersey, Michigan, Colorado, um, in order to talk to people face to face and say, this is what's happening. This is where we need your support. Here's our solution. And will you get involved? And we were doing, um, you know, fundraising and having people write their lawmakers on these issues that affect their health and safety of their families um, to hold these polluting industries accountable. There was nobody there when I was growing up to do this for me. So I found an opportunity and I said, I'm going to do this for other people. It's very important that they understand that they have the power to change the entire dynamics. It, But it has to be done in a way that is a collective and what keeps me motivated is to keep seeing these younger generations, these younger people that are taking these grassroots tactics and they're using them to be on social media. They're leading the way um, because, you know, people in, in, you know, my my generation or even older are are not. They're not really equipped to do the, the, you know, major social media organizing. So there's the youth of today is just absolutely inspiring. They just blow me away. And I have so much respect for them because they're the ones that are going to deal with the problems we're about to hand them. And we've only got what, 10 years now that the, um, you know, the environmental scientists are saying that, we have less than 10 years to get our climate back to normal and, you know, at least to a livable degree. And so these, these younger generations see that they don't have much of a future, that we're the ones that handed them these problems and that they are taking it upon themselves to organize, to mobilize, and that they are holding politicians feet to the fire 
in setting strong policy that will protect their future and the future of their of their own children uh, and grandchildren. So I think the the youth of the world today is really what's keeping me going and keeps my fire lit um, because it's it is hard, hard work, but they are not backing down. And we are going to have them to thank for saving our world. On this note, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much for joining in our show. 